who, who did this? Who? <laughs> yeah, I want to get somebody for this. All right, how does this work? I just pull on it? Yeah. How y'all doing? Good. Um, for those of you I have not met, my name is David, uh, and I'm sorry that you're not getting here, Steve, tonight. If this is your first night, because Steve is great. Oh yeah, man. Uh. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Um. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to get started now with the actual talk. Uh, one of the things that I love about Wesley, uh, one of the things that I love about Steve, the stuff that, that we do here is that we talk a lot about the kingdom of God. And I love that because when you read the New Testament, and the, the more I read it, the more I study it, the more I see it, that's what Jesus talked about. He was constantly talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, from the very beginning of his ministry all the way through, you'll see that. Um, and... Uh, <clears throat> when he talked about the kingdom of God, you know, as you, as you look, well, what does that mean? You see that he was talking about ushering in this new way of living um, that was very different from the kingdoms of this world. And it was a way of living in which, um, uh, in which it had certain, this kingdom has certain attributes, certain characteristics that made it different, right? And one of those, one of those attributes, one of those characteristics, one of the pillars of the kingdom is the simple fact that God is king, over the people who were in that kingdom. And so it makes sense then, using that language, kingdom, king, God being my king, that one of the pillars, one of the main characteristics, one of the main attributes of being in the kingdom of God is that we obey our king, is that we obey God. So obedience, obedience to God, obedience to our king is one of the cornerstones of walking in this kingdom, one of the cornerstones of, of what Jesus was talking about when he talked about entering into this kingdom. Um, now, I want us to take a, a quick minute and look and see what Jesus said about obedience uh, and a couple of other people that followed Jesus, what they said as well. In John 14, 21, Jesus said this. He said, those who keep my commandments, those are the people who love me. And then in John 15, he goes on to say, he's talking to his disciples, to his followers. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now remain in my love. When you obey me, then you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. And then one of Jesus' followers, John, he said this. Now by this we know that we know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Anyone who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And then Peter, again one of Jesus' closest followers, said this. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. So we see in these verses, it's very clear that God, um, he puts a premium on our obedience to him. It's very clear that obedience is not something that he considers as optional. It's not something that he sees as, as icing on the cake, something that if we do, oh, that's, you know, that's, uh, it's okay if they don't, if they do, that's just... Extra. He doesn't see it that way at all. He sees it as primary to being in his kingdom. 
And I want to point out something that Jesus did not say. As you read the New Testament, you'll notice that Jesus never says something like this. I'll know that you love me if you say, I love you, Jesus. Or I'll know that you love me if you go to church every Sunday or if you read your Bible. He doesn't say that. He says, I'll know you love me if you obey me. That's how he gauges our love towards him. If he wants to know if Chaz loves him, he says, is Chaz obeying me? Nathan, is Nathan obeying me? He doesn't look to see if you're saying your prayers at night. That's not how he gauges it. Are you obeying him? Are you following in his steps? Are you doing what he's asking you to do? That's how Jesus gauges your relationship with him. Now, Peter, as we read, Peter uses the analogy of a father and his children as far as obedience. He, he uh, uses that as a motivation or as a, as a way to think about our obedience to God. And I can, I can relate to that because I have children. Uh, hopefully one day y'all will too. But uh, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about my son Joshua, who's five. And I was thinking, you know, if I told Joshua to go into his room and to clean his room, and he says, okay, Daddy, you know, he runs off to his room. And so then uh, he comes back 15, 20 minutes later. He walks through, and I say, hey, buddy, did you get your, get your room clean? And he says, uh, no, Daddy, uh, I started playing with my toys, but I really love you, Daddy. You know, I'd be like, well, Joshua's great that you love me, you know, and everything, but why don't you go ahead and go do what I asked you to do? That would be really great, you know. Uh, so, you know, so I think that, that, that when we look at it from God's perspective that way, and we say that, that what God's looking for, yes, I mean, you say you love me, David. That's great. I want to hear that you love me. That's awesome. But if you love me, that means that you want to please me, right? I mean, that follows. If you love me, that means you want to please me. So if you want to please me, then won't you obey me? And we say this all the time. Actions speak louder than words, right? In our relationships. Is it not the same with God? And God looks at us and he looks at our words, yes. But he looks at our actions because our actions do speak louder than our words. Our actions betray the the true place of our heart, whether it's a good place or a bad place. Um, yeah, we see, we see through this that what, what can happen is this. We can, we can actually deceive ourselves because we say these things to God. I love you, God. We say our prayers. We go to church on Sunday. And we can get into this mode of thinking that because we have, the, even, we can even have these feelings of, of, you know, of love towards God. Right? And so we can actually deceive ourselves into thinking that that is what matters. And I'm not saying that that doesn't matter, because those things, those things should be there. Those things are wonderful. But we can deceive ourselves into thinking that that, is, um, that that is at the heart of the issue when it's really not. That is a part of it. But what's at the heart is obedience. Now, okay, what does it look like then to obey God? I mean, how do I know how to obey God? What does that, what does that mean? What does it look like? The first thing, if you want to know what it means to obey God, I would say this. Actually, you know, take your Bible and open it to the New Testament and just read about Jesus. Read what he said. Read what he did. Read the things that he, that he, that he tells his followers to do. I mean, that's an easy way to figure out what does it mean to, to obey God? What does it mean to be in his kingdom and to obey him? Look at Jesus. Read what he said. Jesus actually says, uh, he offers himself up as an example in the verse we read earlier. He said, I obey my Father. Now I'm asking you to obey me the same way I obey my Father. Use me as an example, he says. So open your New Testament. Read about Jesus. See how he lived, what he did. He will show you through that what it means to obey him. Now a second way is this. Um, 
simply listening to God. You have the written word that you can read, but God also speaks to us today. And it may be you can hear him, or it may just be where you get impressions, right? Where you have a situation, you have something going on, and you feel strongly that God is showing you something to do, something to say. You have an opportunity there to obey God. Because not everything is going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to turn the Bible open and flip to a verse and find the answer to every situation that you're in. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, listening in fellowship with Him, being able to hear His voice, know what He's telling you to do, and move in that. And so in those situations, again, you listen and you obey and you obey quickly. Um, so you have the written word, you have the spoken word. And they work together. Okay, so a question for you. Why do you think it's so hard uh, for us to obey God sometimes? I mean, we say we love Jesus. We're in the kingdom, right? We, we've... Our sins have been forgiven. We know Jesus. So why, why, do we struggle with, why do we struggle with being obedient? Why do we do sometimes the things that we know we shouldn't do? A couple of things I want to, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons, right? And there could be a hundred reasons. Two reasons I want to look at. First thing, one main reason why we struggle in being obedient is the simple fact that we just don't trust God. We just don't trust him. If you think about that, if you really trusted God, if you really saw the way that he saw you, the fact that he loves you as his child, if you really saw his heart for you, if you really believed the Romans 8.28, that God will work all things to your good, if you really believe that, then when he asks you to walk out on that limb, you'll do it, right? Because you know he's there. If you don't trust him, though, and he asks you to walk out on that limb, what do you do? You say, well, that limb might break, right? I mean, gosh. Yeah, God might show up or he might not. And so you step back from that limb. You don't do it. So it hinders your obedience. And so in that, what God is asking is get to know him, pursue him. Because, again, guys, if you could, I mean, the character of God, the goodness of God, when you taste that, when you see that, you have to see his heart for you, and that he would never allow that limb to break, that he will always be with you, he would never forsake you, because he is always faithful. He cannot deny who he is. He is faithful to the end. Another, another problem that we have, um, and this is kind of, one of what I want to focus on a little bit tonight, that hinders our obedience is um, the fact that a lot of us haven't let go of the world's values yet. The world has certain values, certain things that it promotes to us. And they stand in complete contrast to the values of the kingdom. And so if we're embracing these things of the world, these values of the world, and God says, David, I need you to do this. And what he asked me to do is contrary to the things of the world. Then I have a choice to make, right? I can either turn my back on the values of the world and walk in the kingdom, or I can look at that and say, mm, I think I want to stay right here in the world. We have a choice to make. Now, what are some of those, uh, what are some of those values of the, of the world? Again, I'm sure there's a hundred. I'm going to look at four tonight. The first thing, one thing that the world promotes is control, power. The world, the world teaches us that we should always have a plan, that we should leave nothing to chance. We should have all our ducks in a row. We should be the master of our own fate, right? 
I mean, that's what a good responsible person does, right? Everything is, everything is planned out. We're in control. We don't leave anything to chance. The world teaches us that. Second thing the world teaches, that we should always seek and secure financial security. The world tells us that we need to be rich, that it's great to be rich. The world holds up people who have financial security and says, be like this person because they've got it figured out. The third thing, materialism, especially in America. The world tells us that success in life can be, that your success in life can be gauged by the stuff that you own. And you know that's true. We, we see that all the time. We talk about people that have the, the big houses and the, the cars and everything. We elevate those people. And we talk, we, we, the world talks about those people uh, and, and, and holds them in high esteem, not because of character integrity, but because of all the stuff that they have. And so they measure themselves against that. And they pursue materialism, thinking that that is one of the goals of life, one of the things that actually brings fulfillment in life. And the fourth thing I want to touch on tonight is this. The world values social status. The world holds out to us and says, uh, fame, fame is where it's at. And so we, we believe this, like, man, if I could just become famous, if I could just hit it big on American Idol, or, or if I could just get that contract and be a, a big, you know, whatever, a, a big athlete, man, that would be great. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, how silly is it um, when we see a movie star or an athlete walking down the street? What do we do? Oh, my gosh, look at that. Look at that person. I want to shake their hand or get an autograph. And it's like, what, what is the deal with that, right? I mean, what, it's just a person, just like us, well, because they can hit a baseball or they can act. I mean, what is the deal with that? So, but this, that's a symptom of the thing that the world teaches us. It holds up these people that are famous and says, this is what you need to be. This is the epitome of the world, fame, to walk in these circles, to go to the, big, to the cool parties, you know, to be invited to the rich and the famous parties, to be in People magazine or whatever. I don't know what other magazines y'all read uh, <laughs> that I see on people's. <laughs> that I see on people's. And I'm like, what is this even about? I don't know. But anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so, so those are four things that the world, that the world promotes. So I wanted us now to look and see what Jesus had to say about these four these four areas. Okay, the first one again, control. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane. What was Jesus' prayer? Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. The prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will be done, your will be done in my life. Financial security, what did Jesus say about that? He said, how hard it is for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because where's their trust? In their money. That's their security. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot seek the two. You have to seek one. You have to pick one. Materialism. The world says what? Acquire, gather, keep, hold, store up, right? Jesus said this, sell what you have and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Social status. Jesus, talking to a group of religious leaders, said this. He said, no wonder you can't believe in me, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from God. You're consumed with being praised by each other. You're consumed with having people accept you and and, and be in the highest places of honor. But you don't care about the only honor that truly matters. 
but the praise that truly matters, and that comes from God. So we see that Jesus is calling us, again, to this kingdom that turns back on the world and these things of the world and embraces what? Absolute surrender to the will of God as opposed to control. Absolute surrender to the will of God. Lord, your will be done. Trust in God, not money. Guys, your decisions, if you're going to be in the kingdom, your decisions cannot be based on what pays the most. They cannot be based on what makes the most financial sense. I'm not saying be done with money. But what I'm saying is that cannot be how you make your decisions. That's how the world does it. And the kingdom, decisions are made by seeking out the will of God and obeying that, regardless of the financial uh, ramifications. The world says materialism. Jesus says sacrifice. The world says hoard up, store. Jesus says sell the things that you don't need. Give them to the people that need them. And the fourth thing, social status. The world says become great in the eyes of man. And Jesus says what? Humble yourself. Do you remember the conversation he had with his disciples where they were fighting about who was the greatest? Do you remember his response to them? He said, the one of you who wants to be the greatest will what? will become the servant of all. If you want to be great in the, in the eyes of the world, yeah, amass riches, become you know, famous, all this stuff, that's whatever. If you want to become great in the kingdom of God, humble yourself and become a servant to the people around you. Now, I hope that in that little bit of time, I've been able to demonstrate to you how different these kingdoms are. And that when Jesus came, he took... He took the status quo of the world, the kingdom of, the, of the kingdom of this world, and he flipped it upside down. He turned everything upside down and said, the world says A, I say B. The world says X, I say Y. Now, unfortunately, one of the, one of the um, effects of that when we, when we walk in the kingdom is that we'll be misunderstood by the world. Uh, oftentimes criticized by the world, sometimes even face the anger of the world. Why? Because they don't understand, right? It doesn't make any sense. They don't understand why we make these decisions. Why do we do these things? And we stand in contrast to them. Almost like a signpost of showing them that something's wrong in their lives, that their decision-making paradigm is flawed. And so they have a choice to make. Either they kind of either get on board or they stand in that place of judgment, of misunderstanding, of criticism. I want to read a verse uh, uh, written by a man named Paul to uh, a guy that he was mentoring. Paul was one of Jesus' early followers, and Paul said this. He says, But you know what I teach, Timothy, and you know how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and how long I have suffered. You know my love and my patient endurance. You know all about how I was persecuted, but the Lord delivered me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did you hear that? Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He says, if you walk in the kingdom, you will suffer persecution. Why? Again, it's because when we follow Jesus, when we obey him, 
people don't understand that. The people in the world don't, under, don't understand that. The, our decisions don't make sense to them. They will call us crazy, uh, fools, uh, maybe simple-minded, you know, just not very smart, uh, maybe irresponsible. Look at this guy. He's just irresponsible. They may call us radicals, radical religious people, you know, religious nut jobs, right? Now, I want to give you a couple examples. Uh, first example, King David. Um, in the book of First Samuel, you read the story of King David, and you see that uh, the nation of Israel, you have the nation of Israel, and God appoints a man named Saul to be the king of this nation. And Saul is not a very good guy. He, he kind of goes, goes sour, right? So, so God rejects Saul as the king. He, he's still the king, but God says, well, I'm kind of done with you. And he, he finds David, uh, and David's just a boy. And so, so God sends his prophet to David to tell David he's going to be king. So Samuel tells David, you're going to be king. So, so then David waits, and you know, years go by, and um, eventually Saul figures out that David has been chosen to be the next king by God. And Saul's not very happy because Saul has his own sons, and Saul wants them to be, to be king when he dies. So Saul seeks out David to kill him. So David has to run into the hills. He runs through the mountains. He starts living in caves and living in the woods. And uh, eventually a few hundred men uh, come to live with, Dave, with David, uh, people who are upset with Saul as well. So, um, so one day Saul gets information on where David is. So Saul gathers his army. He goes out to find David to kill him. Um, Saul actually goes into a cave to go to the bathroom. And David is hiding in the cave with one of his like right right hand men, okay. And the guy turns to David and says, "David, oh my gosh, it's Saul. You can kill him. You can become king now. This is great, you know." And David looks at him and says, "I can't do that. Saul is God's chosen man. I cannot remove him. God will have to remove him. If I do this, I will be disobeying." the word of the Lord, that I cannot strike down God's chosen person. Okay, so Saul leaves. Uh, fast forward a few months, maybe a few years. I'm not sure how long this was. I know it was an extended period of time. And the same thing happens. Saul sends out an army. Saul comes with his army to come find David to kill David. So uh, Saul's army's camped out and uh, at night. They're all asleep. And so again, David and one of his right-hand men, they sneak up on the camp and they actually walk up to Saul. They stand right next to him. And Saul's spear is stuck in the ground next to his head. And so David's right-hand man says, David, give me the spear. I'll just stick him in the face, and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> he actually says, I don't have to do it twice. I'll do it. I'll get him the first time. You know? And so, again, you can see him like, David, this is your chance. You can become king, and then I, you know, I can be your right-hand man, and we can have the palace and the, the ladies and the money, you know, all that stuff, right? <laughs> you know? And so, but what, again, what does David say? David says, I can't do it. I cannot strike down the Lord's chosen man. I cannot disobey God. Even though this man is evil, even though this man is actually walking against God, I cannot do that because I would be disobeying God. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, can you imagine like going back, David going back to his, to his army for the second time after this happened and his, his right-hand man telling everybody, yeah, we, we had Saul right there. We could have just killed him. That would have been it. We'd be living large. So now, you know, great. Now we get to live in the woods for another who knows how long, you know, and uh, you know, I was thinking how, how David faced, he must have faced that and heard the rumblings, and, and, uh, and it's much like what we face today. David was faced with this choice. Do I walk 
in the values of the world, which look what he could have done. He could have taken control right then. He could have made it happen. He could have made himself king by just, just that, nothing. He could have made himself king. He could have become rich and famous right then. He could have done all of this. But what did he choose? He chose the kingdom. He chose the kingdom of God. He chose obedience, saying, not my will be done, God, but your will be done. Now, second, second story, my last one for you. Uh, I don't want to invite you to kind of be a part of this. Imagine yourself. Here's your, here's your situation. Imagine yourself in this situation. All right, you've, uh, you're married. You've got kids. You've got a great job that you love. Pays the bills. Uh, you're well-respected at work. People love you. You enjoy it. Um, you get great vacation time. Uh, you have a nice house, nice neighborhood. You live in a nice, warm state. you got great friends close by to spend time with. Uh, everything's great, right? Well, you know, everything's good. Okay, uh, so you get a phone call one day, and it's an old friend asking you to come work for him. And you think, well, that's exciting. I'll listen to him. You know, what's he got to say? So he says this. He says, I want you to move to a different state. You have to leave your house. Yeah, it's going to be a pay cut. Sorry about that. Um, oh, yeah, and the housing market really stinks right now. So when you sell your house, you're actually going to lose a lot of money. Yeah, and the job that I'm talking to you about, I mean, I can pretty much tell you what it's going to look like, but there's, it's kind of vague, too. So there's going to be some things that are up in the air right now. Hmm, that's pretty appetizing. I mean, you, you jump on that, right? Let's do it. I mean, no, I mean, what, what fool would do that? What idiot would do that? Yeah, Steve Hambrick, right? <laughs> yeah, Steve just said that. And why? Because God said go. And so Steve had a choice to make. Look at these things. Financial security, status. I mean, everybody here, y'all love him. Everybody here loves him because of who he is. He had, he had, he had these things and, and he had to choose. Am I going to listen to what the world has to say or am I going to listen to what my God has to say? And Steve has gotten to that place in his life where he's made the kingdom of God his main priority. So his decision was to walk in the kingdom. And so, Steve, I, pre I present to you, I hold up to you and Steve, a man who the world might call a fool. The world might call him irresponsible. But when God looks at him, God sees a giant. God sees an, an obedient son that he desires to bless because Steve trusts him, because Steve knows the heart of God. Um, in closing tonight, I'm gonna, I want us to watch a, uh, a quick video clip that I hope you will enjoy as much as I enjoy. So go ahead and, go ahead and run it. fashionable fight it's drawn the finest people where is thy salute for presenting yourselves on this battlefield i give you thanks this is our army to join it you give homage i give homage to scotland and if this is your army why does it go 
We didn't come here to fight for them! Oh! The English are too many! Sons of Scotland! I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. Kills men by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. Free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Die. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! <laughs> Okay, so William Wallace, here he is looking at this army of his countrymen, and I love his appeal to them because he says, yeah, you can run and leave, but I want you to imagine yourself 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now laying in your bed when you're old and gray, and would you not trade all the days from this day to that for one chance to come back and to join in this? And so I say this to you, imagine yourself. 40, 50, 60 years from now, old and gray, looking back on your life. God forbid that you look back on your time here at Wesley and say, what might have been if only I would have chosen that path of the kingdom, if only I would have chosen that path of obedience, if only I would have completely surrendered to the Lord and given myself fully to him. Because the stuff you hear here, the stuff you hear here at Wesley, the stuff, I know, that, I know that you won't hear a lot of this in the places that you go when you leave. I know seniors, when you'll leave here. This is the time. This is the opportunity God gives you. And he says, which will you choose? Will you choose the path that the masses take? The path of the world? Or will you choose the road less traveled? 
Will you choose the road that, yes, it's difficult, it's a little bit scary, it requires faith, it requires courage, it requires sacrifice, but that's the road that leads to life. That is the road that you're created for. Do you see that? That's what you're created for. You're created for this garbage, the values of the world. You're created to be part of the kingdom. So which will it be? Which path will you choose? Will you take the easy way out? Or will you become who you want it to be? And let me say this about obedience. God doesn't want us just to be obedient just for the heck of it, just because he's mean, just because he loves us, you know, uh, jumping when he says jump. He wants us to be obedient because obedience, this, this is what we were created for, to be in relationship with him, to walk in the values of the kingdom, to walk in selflessness, to walk in love, not in selfishness, not in pride. This is where we come alive. And this is the place of blessing. Do you see that too? That God stands there waiting to pour out blessings on you. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. But it's the place where you come alive. It's the place of blessing. It's the place where you experience the joy that you were created for. There's a joy that only comes from walking in obedience to the Lord. You cannot find it over there. It will evade you at every turn. You will find it in this place of the kingdom, in this place of obedience, in this place of surrender to the Lord. It is the road less traveled by, but it's the road you were meant for. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your Son to come and to save us from the kingdoms of this world. Thank you, Lord, that you created a path for us into your kingdom through the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you are not a harsh king, but you are a father who desires us to obey him so that you can pour out your blessing upon us. And Father, it's my prayer tonight that as I look out over these friends of mine and children of yours, Lord, that you would stir in their hearts a strong desire to walk as obedient children to you. Lord, that you would awaken within them a hunger for fellowship with you, Lord. That they would be, become willing to say, Lord, I give it all to you. I surrender all to you. I give you control. Lord, change us to be like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, as we enter into worship and, and prayer, I want to I want to say this. Uh, I'm sure there's some of you. Ask this question. What, what has there been in the past? What things has God asked you to do that you have either said no to or that you put off? Because you've been too scared, because you haven't trusted him for whatever reason. What things do you need to revisit tonight in prayer? And let me also ask you this. What things is God asking you to do now? What has he been moving in your heart today, yesterday, to do, to say to somebody, to give to somebody?
that you've been hesitating to do, that you've been dragging your feet for whatever reason. Let tonight be the night that you begin to say yes to those things. Let tonight be the night that you begin to experience the blessing that comes from God as you obey Him. Yeah.